On this episode of State of the Rockets, we've got none other than Dave Hardesty, Clutch Fans himself, joining us to talk prospects for the number three pick, prospects for the number 17th pick, potential trades up, potential trades out, and we're going to ask questions evaluating certain prospects in this draft because you never know where the Rockets are going to end up. Welcome back to another episode of State of the Rockets, your premier Houston Rockets podcast. I'm your host, Roosh Williams. I am also host of the Noble and Roosh Show, which is an NBA podcast presented by Ball is Life and the Ball is Life podcast network. We are the number one most downloaded podcast on the Ball is Life network. We interview NBA players, uh, media personalities, beat writers, journalists, you name it. We probably do it. We most recently did an episode interviewing Kevin Huerter of the Atlanta Hawks. I hope I said that right, Kevin. Um, so go check that out wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jackson Gatlin. What's up, guys? Happy to be here, as always, on the program with the Mastodon himself. Uh, you can track down all my work at various different places. I host Locked on Rockets, the only daily Monday through Friday, five-day-a-week podcast covering your Houston Rockets. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays and the founder of ClutchCityControlRoom.com. All Houston, all Hoops. And for the first time ever, Roosh, we have a guest joining pew, us pew, on the pew, pew. There we go. Oh, I should have had it ready to go on my phone. <laughs> for the first time ever, we have a guest here on State of the Rockets, none other than one of the OGs in Rockets media, Rockets fandom, all that. Dave Hardesty, clutch fans himself. How's it going, Dave? Good. How are you guys? We're doing Excited to have fine. you here on the show, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, this we, we refer to him as he who paved the path. Oh, Mr. Dave Hardesty, I, I <laughs> no, just uh, I just want to point out before I forget to point this out uh, for our YouTube listeners or watchers, I'm wearing a Super Stash Bros shirt. This is uh, Stephen Adams and Ennis Cantor. One of my OKC friends <laughs> sent this to me years ago when they were on the team. I always love this shirt. It's a good shirt. That is uh, nice. <laughs> but uh, but Dave, it's awesome to have you on. I mean, I'm sure you know our listeners, us, we all obviously know what Clutch Fans is. If you're a Rockets fan at any point in the late '90s, early 2000s, whatever, you knew what Clutch Fans was. So. To see Clutch fans brought off the screen and into life lately has been, I think, a very cool uh, development and transition. You know, you're you're everywhere with the spaces, doing podcasts, launched some some merch recently. So really awesome to see you active in the space and um, as like a human being instead of just like an entity. So that's awesome. And congrats on the merch. So if you're listening, guys, go check that out. I appreciate that, man. Thanks, Roosh. Yeah, it's fun. And, uh, you know, you and, I, uh, you and I, and as well as Jackson, we talk occasionally, you know, just off screen and it's it's going to be, a, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Just to, it's always fun talking to you guys. Absolutely. And we've got an exciting conversation set up today because there's a lot going on in the Rockets landscape right now. And yeah. simultaneously, there's like a lot and there's also nothing going on because there's it's all rumors and speculation and just all, all of our general thoughts ahead of the NBA draft, which is, is, is exactly where we're going to go with today's episode. We're going to take a look at kind of some of our general thoughts around pick number three, some of the you know general takeaways we might have about Paolo Bancaro in a Rockets jersey. Maybe if there's some legitimacy behind the interest in Jaden Ivey, you know, making his way to Houston by chance. Uh, some of the potential trades that we may see ahead of the NBA draft, the fact that the Rockets are in this really precarious position, the fact that 
they really need to consolidate some of their roster at this point because they've got uh, some looming questions regarding Christian Wood and his role moving forward on this team and countless other guys, whether or not they're going to be here, how highly they value some of the talent that they already have on the team, guys like Dacian Nix. And then obviously they've got a second pick in the draft. This That's all just pick number three. They've got pick number 17. So a lot of different options and different directions that they could go with that pick number 17. But let's start with pick number three, Dave, and just the fact that Paolo Bancaro seems to be the name that everybody's walking away with, you know, at, at pick number three. Have you just kind of resigned yourself to Paolo Bancaro being a rocket at this point? Are you just kind of anticipating he's going to be at Toyota Center at some point getting up jumpers? Yeah, uh, pretty much. That's exactly how I would describe it. I, you know, I kind of look at it like the Rockets have the number one pick if you remove Jabari and Chet. And so I, it's to me, it makes it more simple. It's like, okay, Paolo's the guy, I guess. Um, you know, for me, he was fourth on my board. I had Ivy ahead of him, but it was very close. And I can understand the Rockets going with a big over Ivy. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm holding out a slim hope that Jabari or Chet uh, end up falling to number three, but I, I like Paolo. He, he's a good player. Um, I think he's going to be a good addition to the Rockets. I just personally prefer the other two. We'll see how it, how it plays out. So let me, let me ask you, you said you had Jaden Ivey slightly ahead of Paolo Bancaro on your big yeah. board. Is that, is that still the case? I mean, it is. If it's just a strict BPA, uh, and the reason I do is is because I feel like Ivy has uh, an elite uh, factor to his game, like he, his burst, his athleticism. I I could see him being a just terror, a, a very difficult player to stop. There are a lot of question marks with him too, so I consider it close. But Paolo, um, I mean, he's very polished. He's really good, all around player. Um, I think he's going to to be good in the league. I think he's the likely rookie of the year. Um, but I just I'm not as high as a few others are as far as him following a LeBron type track or a Luca type track. Not as good as those guys, but just you know a, a six foot ten, two fifty playmaker. I'm not quite convinced he's that primary guy. Um, and I'm just not sure what he does that's elite in the in the league. I think he's going to be very good, and I think most of his um, really good skills are sort of relative to his size, but he's going to be a good player. So I I'm nitpicking at this point. It's just between those three, I, I prefer the other two. You know, what's crazy, Dave, right? Is, uh, you know, you and I did an LOR episode way back when, and you, I asked you to map out your top five, right. In this, in this year's draft. And this was even before like shade and sharp had declared. So we still had a lot of uncertainty there. And as you were mapping out your top four, I was like, just, like losing it on the other end of the camera because your top four mirrored mine. And so you and I actually had the same exact order of Jabari, then Chet, then Jaden Ivey and Paolo Bancaro fourth. And, you know, as of late, you and I have, you know, kind of come under a lot of scrutiny for that, unfortunately, but right. like you, I've, I've kind of warmed up to the idea of Paolo Bancaro, you know, in a Rockets jersey. And I do think I will have to give some credit to Rafael Stone, actually, for one of the things that he said during his post-lottery press conference when talking about talent at the NBA level, right? And trying to evaluate talent. And he basically said, when you have a player who is, uh, you know, an elite basketball player is, you know, extremely athletic, the game rewards size, right? And so even though you can look at Jaden Ivey and Paolo Bancaro and kind of compare their two skill sets and whatnot, and maybe you put them a little bit closer on the same tier, unfortunately, at the end of the day, one of those guys is bigger and, and stronger than the other guy. And that's Paolo Bancaro. And so I think that that in conjunction with me kind of revisiting some of Paolo's skill set, I do think he's maybe, at least on my in my perspective, I underrated him as a playmaker, as a facilitator, as a passer. 
and potentially like a connective tissue piece offensively. That's where I've started to kind of warm up to the idea of what he can be if he doesn't necessarily pan out to be that next, you know, tier one guy, LeBron, Luca, you know, number one option on a contender, which is why I'm more so okay with him, you know, if he can fulfill a bit of a, a bit of a backseat role offensively, if we're being honest. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to put out negative stuff, but I do look at it like, man, if he is if he really has that upside to be that kind of big primary, you would think. Now, granted, Luca has fallen to third, right, in, in his draft, but you would think that OKC and Orlando, two teams that really are seeking BPA and completely rebuilding, would take him. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean anything. If you've got three great players or great prospects, somebody's got to fall to three, right? So I don't want to knock him for, for being the one that falls to three, but to me, the way, you know, the way that some people describe him as that, that big jumbo playmaker, possibly elite, uh, you know, primary, um, to me, that's a surefire number one pick. So if he can be that, the Rockets are getting a steal here. And, you know, Jonathan Gavoni uh, recently talked about the fact that some teams in the league do feel Paolo's the number one guy. He says majority kind of have uh, Chet and Jabari number one and two, but some of them are out there. So, you know, whether the Rockets take Paolo number three ends up being a steal or they consider moving the pick, uh, th there should be a value with some teams as, as the third pick being worth the number one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because on any given day, you can talk yourself into something else, I feel like, especially in these kind of dog days of the offseason. It seems like every time I get on Twitter, there's a new discussion or a new argument about who fits how and who works because of this reason or who doesn't because of this reason or whatever. Um, I started out very heavy on Jabari. I, I was I was very, very much a Jabari guy. Then I started to talk myself into Chet a little bit. Um, it's hard to let Jabari go, but now – with the same thinking and logic that you two are kind of going with, right? Like Jabari and Cheddar pretty much all, but going one and two. Right. And so when you think about Paolo, it's like, Hey, his, like you both have said, he's got the size, he's got the playmaking ability. He's got the, the ceiling. Uh, he's got a higher ceiling or not necessarily higher. I think he's got a higher ceiling than Jabari. And I think he's got just as high of a ceiling as Chet in a different way, if that makes sense. So if he can, if he can be like a 20, 10 and five type guy, or, you know, a 22, eight and five kind of guy at that size, we may be significantly underrating how like talented of a prospect this could be. Is he going to be Luca? I don't think so because I don't think he has that type of handle and that like lower type of center of gravity and ability to shift his body and ward defenders off with control, um, kind of like Luca does, kind of like Paul Pierce used to do, you know, kind of command the middle of the floor off the dribble just by using your body shifting. If he can, then, then watch out. That's that's special because that's a special ability and special talent um, shot making question marks in terms of consistency, defensive question marks. So like all that stuff. But at the end, and I had him mocked up to be somewhat like a Julius Randall, Michael Beasley type of like six, nine, six, ten, you know, score playmaker. Julius Randall wasn't really a playmaker in college, became one in the NBA. Michael Beasley. I don't know. I don't remember his college numbers, his college assist numbers. I remember he was scoring the hell out of the basketball in college for Kansas State, but I don't remember his college assist numbers. But in the NBA, he was just a pure scorer and he was never like that good at it at the NBA level and was not efficient at it. So that that skill set kind of wasn't utilized. So I don't know what to do with Paolo, but I feel like if he hits his ceiling and hits his potential and Jalen Green continues to come along the way that we've seen Jalen Green come along, whether KPJ works out 
whether Shangun works out or whether both of those guys don't work out, whether Josh Christopher works out, Garuba, go down the list. If if Jalen Green and Bancaro work out, you've got a, a, a tandem. You've got a duo. And everyone, every team wants that duo. For a while, the league has trended to the to big threes, right? But at least the duo to build around. And theoretically, offensively, those two could be that. And then when you add in Shangun and whether he could possibly work with Bancaro, and when you add in KPJ and whether they all work together and Josh Chris off the bench and KJ Martin and if Garuba hits and whoever's 17th pick or whoever they trade up to get, if that person hits, whatever. When you add those into that tandem, now you're playing with house money. And it's like, hey, you might have this homegrown stock of incredible talent, which at some point you're going to have to do something with. Um, but that's kind of how I've rationalized it to myself as like, hey, you might have a legitimate offensive big two, um, you know, homegrown in your backyard with a ton of chips to also play with ancillary to the, to them. This is uh, just uh, curious here because some of the comps that you threw out there, Roosh, I, I, one of the other ones that I've seen, like, like I know uh, Kevin O'Connor from the ringer used this comp and I've seen other people throw it out as well is like a Chris Weber type. Now, unfortunately, like I'm not old enough to remember like Chris Weber in his younger days. So um, Chris Weber can, played big, like Chris bigger Weber than Paolo strong. plays, do you think, or huh? like bigger than Paolo plays or I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Weber would post you up, you know, and like okay. muscle you and he could like make a drop step and dunk it or he could, you know, I, I don't I mean, can Paolo do that? Yes, but I think Paolo is more of like an off the dribble. I think Paolo will post up and face up, which Chris Weber would face up too. I don't know, Dave, what, you, you tell me. I mean, yeah, Weber had like I, I think Weber had like a seven two, seven three wingspan. I mean, he had long arms. Um I mean, he was a beast. I mean, he, the funny part was that Orlando got the number one pick that year. They could have paired Shaq and Weber together, and they made that Hardaway Penny Hardaway trade. But um, yeah, I mean, Weber was uh, was a beast, and I think you know, in, in that era, power forwards, guys who could score around the post, were extremely valuable. How valuable that is today is you know you can debate. It's it's got its value for sure. But you know, you look at Paolo, most of his success where he's uh, you know, plus score is 14, 15 feet and in. Um, I think he, he has no problem shooting his forms good. So I think he'll project to be better from three point range. Um, but it's kind of hard when you're comparing like almost different eras, uh, eras Weber then, and you know what he could be today. What's crazy too is is one of the other like kind of discussions that I've seen centered around Paolo is the idea of right he he does have that face up part to his game right and, and yes there's some question marks about can he really extend the range like and get it consistent beyond the three point arc and really have that game kind of stretch out a little bit further away from the rim away from the mid range area but I do do either of you see uh, you know a world where Paolo is viewed as more of a a wing. And does that change your perception of him versus viewing him as a big, right? Because we know that at Duke, right, he's like 250, 255. But we've also seen like he's not like he doesn't look like a heavy 250, right? Like he looks relatively slim and kind of cut in a lot of his photos. And I don't think there's a, a, a world where it, it's, you know, beyond the stretch of imagination to think that he could potentially shed, you know, 5, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, maybe and slim down a little bit and maybe be that kind of more agile on the wing type presence and maybe even playing him at the three a little bit. You know, in my personal opinion, I don't see him as a three, but I think that there's uh, some merit to that. I think he could be a hybrid where he's too big for for smaller wings to cover and, you know, too fast for traditional fours, if you will, to to defend in the post. I, I He's got big, strong legs. I mean, he's he's built, in my opinion, like a four. He may slim down. I just, I think your advantage, uh, 
with Paolo would be at the four. Um, I think you'll at the three, you probably have better shooters, better defenders, uh, quicker guys, but he does have that size advantage and he does have, you know, the playmaking ability, the IQ, the vision. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see, but I personally think he's a four, um, mostly, and you'll see him play some small ball five. I think he could be, a, uh, you know, used advantageously in that position as a three. I'm just not sold quite yet myself. R- yeah. I think I, would, I think I, I think I would agree with what's up, Jackson. I, I was gonna say I want I want you to have a chance to answer that question, but I started chuckling as Dave was giving his answer because everything Dave was saying is the exact same argument for why Christian Wood. You know, we've done the exact same thing, right? Like, oh, Christian Wood, he's gonna be too big for fours to handle, but then he takes the fives out to the perimeter and he does all. That, and I'm just like, oh man, where have I heard this before? And I started <laughs> right. I can't. No, I can't relive this. No, we gotta hit. We gotta <laughs> abandon mission now. Like, not again, please. No. Okay. I I kid. I kid. But it was just it was. It was, it was too eerily close to home to so many of the arguments that I've made myself for Christian Wood and that I've heard other people make in favor of why Christian Wood should work at the four or at the five and, and all this stuff. So, but go ahead, Roosh. I apologize. Well, I mean, that look, I, I had the same thought as as that was happening, but um, the idea of Christian Wood is, is great. So it's not that the idea of Christian Wood, a.k.a. the idea of Paolo Bancaro, wouldn't work. The idea of Christian Wood would work. It just so happens that the the actuality of what Christian would, you know, of how he gets that 18 and 10 and 2 and 1 or whatever, the way that he goes about it doesn't work, right? He doesn't pass the ball off the dribble. He operates from the wing exclusively. He doesn't play defense. Uh, he weighs 215 pounds, so he can't absorb contact down low. He does not have the playmaking ability. He can create for himself, but he cannot create for others the way that that Bancaro can. And that takes some type of innate vision that generally you grow up with, right? Like when you're hooping, you have that in you. It's not something that you get to the NBA level and all of a sudden your eyes open up and you see the floor differently. I think that's more of a rare thing to happen back to whether he could play the three. I think he can, but yeah, will he be effective? I don't know. I mean, I think you're going to be most effective with a guy like, um, uh, Mikhail Bridges or, you know, a Dorian Finney Smith, or just like a, a quintessential kind of catch and shoot long athletic, uh, wing that can, like I said, catch and shoot, attack closeouts if they need to, that kind of thing. I'm not sure if that's how Bancaro would be best used. Dave, I wanted to ask you, because when I was making the house money comment, it looked like you had something to say. And I was curious if you had a comment or like a thought or kind of what your thinking is on, on that reasoning. Yeah. Well, as far as uh, Jalen and Paolo being the pairing and, and the duo, right? I think that's a great um, insight on that. I, I think that's true. I mean, I think now you've got two cornerstones. I just feel like if you're at, if those are the two, it becomes now like really, really high priority with your other three positions, 60% of your starting lineup that you get some really high, uh, you know, strong defensive players, some different players. And I do look at Shangun as I don't want to say targeted, but maybe it's not as likely that he's part of the future, at least in a, in a starting role simply because I, I, I reverse it. If the Rockets had Paolo on their, in their lineup right now and Shingun was in the draft, would we be thinking we've got to get Shingun and we got to pair him up with Paolo? Now, granted, I would not let Shingun being on the roster impact anything that I do in the draft. Um, I would just take best player available, so that's fine. But I do just wonder how that pairing is going to work. They're very high IQ players. Offensively, I think there's going to be a lot of ways they can work together. But spacing the floor, uh, you know, having two guys who operate primarily mid-range on in, um, 
in that area it doesn't necessarily help out uh, Jalen Green and and um, KPJ as far as driving lanes. And then, of course, you've got the defensive concerns. So we'll see how that works out. But I agree with you that you you take Paolo here, you've got a great pairing. You've got a good combo. You're going to work with those two guys. And to do it basically you know, less than two years after trading hard and whatever it's been uh, is pretty amazing. You know, coming off the heels of our last show where Roosh and I discussed the idea of not getting too attached to players on a on the team that's been the worst team in the NBA back-to-back seasons. Oh yeah. I, I I know that we have fallen in love with everything that Alper and Shingun is, what the flashes that we've seen, all of that. But if one of the other lottery teams were to come knocking on the Rockets front door, what how high up in the lottery would it have to be for you to have like for it to pique your interest? Like if, you know, the Pelicans were to come knocking or the Blazers or the Pacers, like how, like, as I'm, I'm just reading off the teams, like as we're like getting higher and higher up the lottery, I'm not which trading. You start considering. I'm not Shingu? trading. Yeah. For yeah. Shingu. Dave, go ahead. Go, for it. go ahead. No, no, Rush, you go ahead. I just didn't know if that's what the question was. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, I'm not trading Shingu for a lottery pick in this draft. Um, Cause we have the Rockets have a lottery pick in this draft. And I don't think any of the other prospects are so guaranteed to be better than Shingu that I would do it. You know, if it's Chet or Jabari, maybe is that going to happen? No. So anyone after three, I mean, who are we talking that would, that would, you know, it doesn't have to be a direct replacement for Shangun, but who is worth losing the talent of Shangun, which still tons of untapped potential. We don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. I, I have some counters about how they could work, which we covered on the last episode. So I won't go too deep into it, but basically, um, you know, the Rockets went from six foot four, 230 pound Jay Sean Tate playing the four for most of the season and six foot 10, 215 pound Christian Wood playing the five. They went from that to potentially Bancaro and Shangun at 6'10, 250 plus, and you know, 6'9, borderline 6'10, 245 plus. So they get a ton bigger and thicker inside. So I think it could work in theory, and they're both smart. Um, so I think that they would understand rotations and, and coverages and things like that. They're not going to play above the rim on defense, so that becomes an issue. But there are teams that just have like stout. Even even the the small ball Rockets were just short and stout, you know. And and some of them were long. Like PJ Tucker, I think has a decent wingspan. Harden, so they were able to cover positions and and make that work. Robert Covington, obviously. But I think that could work from that perspective. But if you're going to lose Shangun, like who's left? That's surefire. I mean, Benny Matherin, Shaden Sharp, Keegan Murray go down the list. I don't think any of these guys are, are a surefire bet over Shangun and would, it could still work out with Shangun. So that's why I would not do it. Would you trade him for Jaden Ivey if it was a pick for, for the fourth pick of the draft? No, because really, no, because I would, I would. Yeah. <laughs> full, like full disclosure. I would, but I'm also really high on Jaden Ivey. Like that's the thing. Well, I, I think no. it gets, it's, it's really interesting in that mix of Jaden Ivey, Shaden Sharp. I do think there's a drop right after those guys. But I think that conversation gets really interesting if you're entertaining like the fourth or the fifth pick from a hypothetical standpoint. Well, let yeah, me go ahead, Rush. To clarify, what I like, do I like Jaden Ivey? Yes. Would I like to add him in that scenario? Potentially, yes. But what I don't know is, I mean, the Rockets are beyond overloaded at guard. And I know we talk about don't worry about fit. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily worried about do, do player X and player Y and player Z fit together if you draft. Jaden Ivey it's more so okay we we draft Jaden Ivey like are you going to become like the magic for example with Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz and you know Suggs and whoever else they got back there just log jammed with all this young talent you don't know what to do you know KPJ Josh Christopher let's say Jaden Ivey Jalen Green um Dacian you know, Nix 
Dacian Knicks. You still got to do something with Eric Gordon. Still got to do something with John Wall. I mean, that's just a lot of guards. I, I, I don't want to go fit, but if we are picking from a crop of young talent, I would, I guess I'm a little bit biased to get some, something, somebody with size. Sure. Yeah. And I could, I can understand that perspective. I, I, you know, in looking at the question that Jackson had, I, I think I would probably consider Shangun about seven on in. Um, I know that's, uh, you know, not, not necessarily in line with what Roosh was thinking, but I think around seven, I would consider it. I really am high on a few different prospects, but I think at four, I, I think that's the only thing that could get you in that conversation uh, to begin with. But I also think uh, Sacramento may not think that's the perfect fit. I may have got Sabonis over there, kind of similar players. Um, I mean, I'm not saying they wouldn't be interested, but I think if that's, if that's the only thing that would get me in that conversation for number four, I would certainly uh, be interested. I think if you added Paolo and Ivy out of this draft and you lost Shingun, I that would be, in my opinion, a major score. And I, I do like Shingun. I mean, Jalen Green, Ivy, and Paolo Bancaro is that's a lot of young talent. I mean, that's pretty fun. So I, I won't to be, say to be fair, Jalen Green, Paolo Bencaro, and Alperin Shagun is also a lot of exciting young talent. I just I, I like to play devil's advocate a little bit. I'm not sitting here <laughs> like, you know, I'm not blowing smoke signals towards Toyota Center, like asking Rafael Stone to trade Shingun. Like that's not what's happening at all. But I turn mine off then, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, from my perspective, it's just so there's so many ways it could go. I just want to see that. I got to see them play a little bit just to like, it, there's, there's no definitive. Yes. There's no definitive. No, it just depends. I mean, I could see Bancaro and Shangun being this awesome front court passing some high, low action, getting cutters down the middle cutters on the baseline creation from the wing, from a six foot 10 250 guy. Uh, you can throw a lob to, to Bancaro. He can go get a couple lobs, not like, you know, a Gerald green lob catcher off an alley-oop or something, but he can catch a couple. Um, you know what it's probably you know, going to look like? it's going to look very similar to some of the actions and some of the lineups that the San Antonio Spurs would run like with Greg Popovich with Tim Duncan. And then they, like, again, they, they ran through so many other like secondary bigs alongside yeah, Russian Asterovich, uh, the dude from Brazil, Tiago splitter. Yeah. You, yeah all, they, and, uh, they, Boris Diaw for a little while, like all those different, like double bigs. And, and the sense was they, that's why they traded Skola. Popovich was a huge proponent of this. He has said before and has said time and time again, you can run two bigs that are non-shooters together if they can both pass. And so I think that should be absolutely a, a you know a, a point in the favor of the potential pairing of Alper and Shingun and Paolo Bancaro and the fact that both of those guys have shown serious passing chops. And that's again where I come away continuing to warm up to the idea of what Paolo Bancaro can look like even if he's not the one getting it done with the ball in his hands, if he's creating for others, and if he's kind of that secondary point of attack, right? Maybe Jalen Green gets the drop on the defense first, drives in, gets the defense scrambling in rotation, kicks it out to Bancaro. Maybe Bancaro's not the guy who finishes the play, but he's that next, he attacks again, drives in, kicks it to the next open shooter. Like having multiple guys who can attack, drive, kick, and get it out to the next person is what keeps an offense humming. And they're all buckets. So like... I'll get this in, Dave, and then take oh, it yeah, over. Cleveland has Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, right? And that comparison's been made. People push back because they're taller and better defensively and longer. All of that's valid. That part aside, that end of the court aside, at least temporarily, on offense, um, they can both pass too. Evan Mobley's a, a decent passer. Jared Allen's an underrated, decent passer for for being like a rim-running big. You know, he does a little bit more than, than just being a rim-running big. So that's how you make it work, right? Um and also, Bancaro and Shangun are buckets. It's they're not just 
rim running bigs, right? It's not it's not Nerlens Noel and Nerlens Noel part two, or Nerlens <laughs> Noel and Mitchell Robinson. You know, if you look at those Knicks with Julius Randle, Nerlens Noel, <laughs> Nerlens Noel was the center. How many times are you gonna say Nerlens Noel in like <laughs> the span of thirty seconds, dude? <laughs> Sounds like a Christmas song, yeah. Right. So <laughs> we be Nerlens. So Nerlens was the uh, center next to Julius Randle when they were the fourth seed. So you can make it work. But my point is. It's not just two rim running bigs next to each other that can't shoot. It's two two bigs that can post up and get a bucket, two bigs that can create off a post up for others for a bucket, and two bigs that can actually face you up. Bancaro can face up out of the triple threat in the short post, and so can Shangun. So they're versatile. So so factor that in. Um, they're not going to be you know this twin towers whatever, but they're smart players. So, so factor that in, but Dave, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, the way I look at it is the same way I look at KPJ as the starting point guard. It's like, there's no, no rush. If you take Paolo number three, there's no rush to do anything with Shangun. I mean, if a great offer is available, then, you know, I'd be listening, but you have a whole nother year where th these are basically homework assignments, quizzes. We're just kind of just going through the motions and then, you know, final exams start in a year and that's when it gets hardcore. So We'll see how it goes, but I, I think you you give this experiment some time. If the, if the ceiling defensively looks limited, you might have to make a change. It's just that I think, and again, we're speculating here, but it's not often that you see the fourth pick of a draft be on the market for for you know some players that are ready to I think impact right now. I'm not sure Shangun's there yet, but um, you just don't see that when when a guy like Ivy could potentially be available there. It depends on how you view Ivy, of course, but um, that's the only thing I would look at if if that if that conversation was open and the Rockets could get involved in the, with the fourth pick of the draft, then I'd look at it. But otherwise I don't really feel a sense of urgency to move Shangun. If you take Paolo, is there any possibility of taking, and, and by the way, before I actually ask this question to your point, uh, I love the analogy with the quizzes and tests until final <laughs> exams. Um, I, I agree with you. I think you need to see as many lineups as you can. I think you need to see these guys actually play without, you know, oh, we need the veterans to continue to lose the most games in the league, right? Um, do you <laughs> shout do you, shout out to Chris Mannix, <laughs> right? <laughs> do you think that um, Stephen Silas's approach to bringing Jalen Green along, you think that's going to work this next season, or do you want to see these guys in the mix so that we really know what we're dealing with and so whether are you talking these, about these players organic learning is that what? You are you getting to organic learning? I didn't want to say it, but you did. So now that you, now that you popped that top oh, off. Oh, man. Okay, right. Uncanned the organic learning worms here on uh, State of the Rockets. You know, it's funny. I I mean, I'm okay with it. I, I think uh, we did see it, you know, pick up significantly at the end. But, of course, the hand was forced. I don't think that was Silas who was saying we need to bench Gordon and and Wood and, and roll with these young guys. I feel like that he's definitely in line with the front office. Um, as far as his actual coaching, we'll, we'll probably judge that a little bit later, but I think where we have to grade him now is player development. And I think that's a fair question to ask. Um, I think we all have some, some justified questions about certain things. I mean, Shingun, you know, had his, uh, it was tough for him to get time at times. And, you know, Jalen green didn't play some fourth quarters when he could have got some time. Uh, we thought it could have continued to develop and, and put up numbers, but I'm mostly okay right now with the way Silas is approaching it. If something changes here in this season, then you got to deal with it. But I think right now the the uh, players love him, and you know he's. I think he's doing a good job so far of developing. And we're going to have a new coaching staff as well here in Houston, so uh, you know assistants. So we'll see how those guys uh, help along the way for developing these guys. What'll be really interesting to see too, depending on right, if 
Paolo Bancaro dons Rockets red next season. You know, that hands-off approach that they kind of took with Jalen Green, you almost, you really kind of can't do that with Bancaro, right? Because Jalen Green had the benefit of being, well, and again, I, I've said this before, and I'll have to, I'll keep banging this drum for as long as I have to. Like Steven Silas had to juggle so many different things this past season, right? He had to juggle Kevin Porter Jr. learning the point guard position. He had to juggle dealing with, I'm sure, the egos of the vets behind the scenes, guys like Christian Wood, potentially, you know, even Eric Gordon, you know, who wants, you know, wants his touches, still wants to be, you know, involved in some capacity, things like that, to where he couldn't just, you know, all right, Jalen, here's the ball. Go, go do your thing for 35 plus minutes a night. But with Bancaro, I wonder how they would deploy him, right? Because as the season went along, we saw Jalen Green, especially in the early part of the season, be utilized as kind of like an off-ball type player. He would be stashed in the corner. They did kind of hammer home the idea of him, you know, relocating off-ball and moving without the basketball. And I think those were some lessons early on that did wonders for him to where you could see Jalen taking advantage of defenses when they would lose, like not pay attention to where he was. And he would drift to the other side of the court and get some wide open buckets that way. Those little windows as Steven Silas calls them within the offense. And it was important, I think for him to learn those things. Could we have seen more action with Jalen actually having the ball? Could he have played more fourth quarters and gotten up some extra numbers and maybe finished, you know, as the best scoring Like, yeah, I mean, but I think those are kind of small gripes in the grand scheme of things, the grand calculus of what his development truly looks like. With Bancaro, though, I don't think you can get away with that because to really see what you have with Bancaro, you've got to put the ball in his hands and let him kind of create and be that driving force behind the offense. So it'll be a really interesting way to see how Steven Silas adjusts his kind of development program and how he approaches the development of another tier one rookie coming in this next season. Well, that's the other thing is pretty much everything you said now apply that to Kevin Porter jr. Right. And then look at those last two weeks of the season. <clears throat> when I look at the last two weeks of the season, you think, Hey, we might have a, I mean, Kevin Porter jr. Put up like 28, eight and eight or something like that on crazy efficiency for the last seven games. That's, that's a pretty legitimate stretch of games. Seven in a row to average those numbers is impressive, right? That's not something to scoff at. So, but the, but the issue is we don't know how much of that is for real. We don't know how much of that is a result of, you know, playing against weaker teams because the 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 schedule at the end of the season wasn't very tough. There were a couple games, the Nets, the Hawks, but, you know, a couple back-to-backs with the Kings. You played the Spurs who weren't very good, all things considered, so on and so forth. Timberwolves, better, better competition, I guess. Um, and then in addition to that, how much of that was a result of whether or not these, these teams were also trying to tank, like the Kings, um, you know, the Spurs weren't. But – I think they played the Pacers. I can't, I can't remember. I think they played the Pacers as well. So you have data, but you don't know how to contextualize that data and you don't know what to do with that data. So now they got to spend another year looking at that. So back to the Jaden Ivy Ivy question. If, you know, I don't want to ignore, I don't want to heavily weight fit, but if Kevin Porter Jr. is a 28, eight and eight guy, or even like a, you know, 28 and eight guy on good efficiency, all of a sudden, you know, maybe you, you take a different direction. So it's just the, the big, it's just a big question mark. Now, with all that said, um, is there any possibility, could you see any feasibility to the Kings taking like a Christian Wood, Eric Gordon, Jay Sean Tate? You think that in, in exchange for a pick and whatever would match salary could work? And and 17 or something? Yeah. Um, you know, I like to believe that. Um, I would hope I would hope that the owner would uh be 
pushing uh, Monty McNair that hard to, to get something like that done. I, I just don't see it. And salary wise, oh, Monty, Monty McNair is a sleeper agent for the Rockets. Okay. He's, <laughs> this was a long-term plan to get him over there. I'm all as for the general it, yeah. manager of the Kings. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I, I have a hard time thinking, I think that with that fourth pick of the draft, they're probably going to be in conversations for more significant players. Um, that's why I, th- I would think it would take something like Shingoon. But I mean, if I'm the Rockets, I'm offering that for sure. And, you know, I mean, Wood and, and Gordon and Tate is it's going to help those guys. It's going to help the Kings. I don't think that's going to build a championship team with them. But those three and you got, uh, you know, Fox and Sabonis and Barnes. And, and of course, they have to trade back some salary. So it would it would get a little tricky. But, yeah, I mean, I think they would probably succeed in getting to the playoffs like they hope or certainly the play that, in that but. is their immediate goal i mean i feel like they i feel like they just a, a six seed would be so delightful for them i feel like you know yeah it's a it's a tough situation monty i think he probably regrets i mean he's a he's a smart guy i, I don't want to say regrets taking that job but like now he's probably they've done pretty well other than that trade that they were kind of probably forced into a little bit i think that sabonis is a good player but i think halliburton a draft pick that McNair made was a, was a good one. Probably should have kept, probably should have built around him, but uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, I'm hoping that the Rockets can get involved with the Kings, if not the Blazers um, at seven, but um, you know, trading up is, is always something we love to talk about and speculate. Very difficult to actually pull off. The Blazers are that team though. Like for, for a lot of the same reasons that we kind of alluded to just now with the Kings though, I think the Blazers are in such an interesting like place as a franchise because they're again, they're kind of stuck in the same spot that the Rockets kind of were right at the end of the James Harden era. Like, what do you do? Right. Do you reset and really try for, you know, one last ride off into the sunset with your established superstar in Damian Lillard, or do you hit the reset button and trade him right to the highest bidder? And then actually like, you know, bottom out and become, you know, a full blown NBA rebuilding franchise. And I think they could very well, kind of straddle the fence sort of the way that Rafael Stone did, right? Because Christian Wood was a guy that had James Harden bought in and he was like, yeah, sure. Like one last go around with John Wall and, and this young guy, Christian Wood, and we'll see what we got, right? And then Harden bounced and Christian was arguably at the time, right? Young enough where you could kind of conceivably buy into a future where, oh yeah, like see Wood's like a good kind of piece to have around. And Unfortunately, now the Rockets are at a place where like his future is very murky because they've really hit the ground running with like a, a true rebuild right around like young talent like Jalen Green and, and KPJ and the window with Christian Wood being involved with that young core might be passed. Unfortunately, even though he's not old by any stretch of the imagination, he's not like on the wrong side of 28 or anything, but his fit just may not work with this young Rockets core. Could the Blazers be enticed to give up that seventh, seventh overall pick for a pair of starting caliber NBA players, right? A Christian Wood and a Jay Sean Tate alongside Dame and Yusuf Nurkic. Like those are two starting quality NBA players that could very easily round out a Portland roster. And, and I do think that Christian Wood for a lot of the flack that he gets here in Houston, some of it deserved, some of it not. I think you put him in the right situation. And, and just like Roosh was saying earlier, right? Christian Wood in theory or, or Christian Wood's role in theory sounds really good. I think if you put Christian Wood in the right situation, you can actually get that optimal version of Christian Wood. And next to a use of Nurkic with a primary ball handler like a Damian Lillard who's going to attract a ton of attention, I think it could be a really great situation for him. We to be clear, we are talking about the 17th pick officially. So go for it, Dave. 
Yeah, no. So, yeah, there's a lot there uh, that Jackson said. I, I, first of all, as far as Portland's concerned, it's funny. I know this is uh, going to date me, but like going back to 99, I remember when the Rockets had an opportunity, Toronto was extremely interested in Akeem Olajuwon. They wanted to trade for him. I think they had like the fifth and the 12th pick of the draft. Maybe it was 2000, one of those years. And um, the Rockets almost did it. And Rudy T came out and said, I can't do it. It's just too much. It means too much to me to, you know, and a, and a couple of years later, he ended up getting traded to Toronto anyway, when he wanted to, to be moved on. But it's funny, if you could remove the emotion of that situation for the Rockets moving forward as a team, getting the fifth and the 12th pick of the draft for somebody who was, you know, at the twilight of his career and you were rebuilding at that time actually made sense. I think that Portland's in a similar situation where there's so much emotional attachment to Damian Lillard that that they're going to retool and try to keep him there. And it's not the best decision, in my opinion. They have a good a good young talent in Anthony Simons. They really should maximize, kind of like the Rockets did with Harden, against their will, I guess. But, um, you know, just stockpile and rebuild. But I think you nailed it in that they're going to try to seek some, some vets, some guys who can play for them right away. With Christian Wood, it's just so difficult. Jonathan Fagan recently said something that has really rung true is that with GMs, it's tough for them to change their minds. They don't change their minds very often. And the reason I, I you know, echo what he said is he told me that a few years ago about Daniel House because I was asking him about stuff like, you know, just at a game, like, what do you think? Could the Rockets trade House this for that? And he said, you know, uh, House has been a good role player for the Rockets, but a lot of GMs passed on him, didn't want him had some knocks against him. And we saw that when the Rockets couldn't deal him, they cut him. Nobody picked up his contract. He eventually signed a 10 day and stuck on with the jazz and played a, a decent role there. Is, are, are the Rockets going to be able to find somebody who has a changed opinion of Christian Wood? Cause he did go, you know, undrafted, did not, uh, you know, bounced around the league before finally the Rockets committed to him. That's the big question. I think right now with Christian Wood, who wants him at this deal and is willing to give up something, uh, you know, significant or, or decent for him. And his reputation, unfortunately, precedes him. And, and that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. They don't change their mind. Like it, he has the reputation of having locker room issues, of having effort issues, having, you know, kind of the same issues that I am assuming with respect to his unwillingness to run a pick and roll, right? It's probably because he just doesn't want to, even though it's probably best for the team. That's me guessing. But all of that, and then you see, you know, he quits on the team at halftime having some of the same issues in Houston, name constantly in trade rumors. So those GMs who had those feelings about him and passed on him for those reasons are looking at this and likely thinking, well, told you, right? So so I, I agree with you. And then also, I know I proposed the, the the Christian Wood, Eric Gordon thing earlier, but what's even trickier about Christian Wood is he's an expiring contract. So if you're going to trade for him and if you're going to trade up actual assets for him that are valuable, you got to have some assurances in your mind that he's going to re-sign with you and not only do you need that assurance from him, you're going to need that assurance internally. You're going to want to know that you want to re-sign him and that it's not just a roll of the dice completely, unless it's a team, one team that I could see potentially trying that out, maybe Portland. May, I don't know their cap space, and that's why I threw out Sacramento. I don't know what their cap issues look like. So maybe they could be willing to roll the dice with something that they don't value as high, a.k.a. the pick that they have, maybe the fourth pick, maybe the seventh pick. Maybe they don't value it that high. They're willing to roll the dice for a collection of you know, above-average talent players that could complement their pieces that are also expiring who they could, you know, if it works out, they re up them. If it doesn't work out, um, they have cap space off the books to, to go out and sign like a star to compliment whoever. I don't know if that's their situations. If it is, it's more likely. If not, 
I think it's much less likely that a team's going to want to trade for Christian Wood. I, and I'd ask you, I'd ask you this, Dave Jackson, yeah. if you know the answer, chip in. You know, I think you have to start by looking at the potential competition. So, what teams would potentially want that seventh pick, and who's got a potentially better package than the Rockets? I don't know the answer. Do you guys? Detroit's the first one that comes to mind, right? With Jeremy Grant, kind of a similar similar situation. And I think they have an advantage because <clears throat> Grant and Lillard have that relationship from, from USA Basketball. Lillard apparently has wanted him there. That's the first team that comes to mind. Um, Charlotte I, is another one that might have some pieces that they could potentially move, right? Like, And they've got the double picks like a little bit later in the lottery to where you could maybe think like they could package one of those and like a pre-existing player, you know, send somebody that way to kind of help shore up Portland. And then they Portland again also gets to straddle offensive, not completely giving up on picking up another young guy, but they get maybe a more, more established talent. And then they pick a little bit later in the draft. I think a big part of it depends on like, if they can get like the, uh, why am I blanking? Because I called him Joseph Duarte the other day, and that's the wrong, that's the beat writer. Chris Duarte. Chris Duarte. There we go. Oh, thank you. I don't know. I keep going back to Joseph, but, um, if the if the Blazers have a guy like a Keegan Murray on the board who is probably outside of like Bancaro from like immediate impact to a team, like I think Keegan Murray is going to be that guy who can come in and immediately be an impactful rookie right away. He's one of the older rookies in the class for that reason. Like, you know, if if Keegan Murray's on the board at seven, I feel like the Blazers would be very comfortable making that pick and yeah. putting him next to Dame and still feeling comfortable in that decision to not trade that pick and still have some success next season. So, yeah. And you know, it's funny as far as Roosh, your question, Indiana is another team that came to mind. I don't know how, what kind of value buddy healed has or, or Malcolm Brogdon on the market, but those are some veterans and they've, you know, Indiana and Sacramento recently struck a deal. You know, I think that they're the Rockets. I, to be honest with you, I look at um, Portland having that 2025 Milwaukee pick. It's top four protected. It's a one shot in the dark. If it hits in the top four, it becomes nothing. But that pick might be interesting for Christian Wood or um, Eric Gordon because Portland does have the ability to just take on those contracts. So they have a trade exceptions and cap room. So something like that, like trading Eric Gordon straight up for that pick, um, might be interesting. A future pick in, in general. As a matter of fact, I think a future pick same thing as the deadline, the future pick would be more attractive to Rafael Stone than any, you know, 20 on, on down pick in this draft. So we'll see how that, that plays end. out. To that so I, end. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Please finish. I misunderstood. I thought you were saying, say that again, but go ahead. You oh, said, to, oh, that no. <laughs> to that end. Yeah. Choose um, your words better, Roosh. Come on. <laughs> all right. My bad. My bad. So to that end, uh, what do you think of the rumors of the Rockets potentially trading down for like a 20 something pick? So, okay. So 17 to 20 and 25 with San Antonio, that rumor. Yeah. Okay. I don't buy it. Um, it's an interesting deal, but I just, I, I, you know, unless the Rockets are moving some of these other guys, I can't see them adding three rookies. You know, I feel like the, the, the 17th pick would be more attractive to them in any other year. I, I think I'd be interested in that because it's really only moving down what three spots and then picking up the 25th pick um, in, in a good draft. I think that would be a really smart move. I don't necessarily buy, you know, Bobby Marks has been pushing, uh, which I'm surprised is kind of leaning towards the Rockets, not using the third pick of the draft and training down. He's thrown uh, like a Portland rumor out there, for, you know, for the Rockets to go from three to seven. That would really surprise me, to be honest. I think it would take a lot for the Rockets to trade down in this draft. I could see the Rockets trading the third pick for a player. 
Um, I can see that happening, but it's going to take a, a, a significant player to do that. We, we need to check Bobby Marks's uh, bank statements to see how much Portland is paying him to spread this misinformation <laughs> no doubt, around no the, uh, the media <laughs> landscape. But look, we, we've kind of discussed, you know, trading up, trying to get further into the lottery with that 17th pick. We've talked about, you know, potentially trading it down. But what if the Rockets just make the selection at 17, right? Dave, I'm interested. What are maybe like the top three names that you hope are still kind of on the board when the Rockets go to make that 17th selection? And just if you can narrow it down to your your number one favorite prospect, the one that you really want to see there at 17 when the Rockets are picking again, assuming they actually make that selection. Sure. So actually falling to 17, I mean, I, you know, the Dyson Daniels dream is dead. That's long gone. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, and, before, then before we dive in, give us your gut feeling. Where do you think Dyson Daniels ultimately goes? How high up in the draft do you think he actually gets picked? Cause I've seen people think he could go like five, like four that's or five. What I, which is crazy. I, I would say the highest is five. I would be surprised if four, I think he'll, he will not go past eight. I just think he makes way too much sense for the Pelicans. I could see even the Blazers taking him. Um, I, I would be shocked if he goes five, but if Ivy goes four, you know, where Detroit goes is, is certainly up in the air and Dyson Daniels next to Cade is, I mean, a really good fit in my opinion. Um, so, you know, we'll see, I, but I could see him going as high as five. why is he, why is he the dream for you for the Rockets? Dyson Daniels boy, very smart player. Well, sorry. was the dream was the, yeah, dream. was the dream. Yeah. Um, I think his shot's going to come around. It's not there now, but a really good passer, excellent defender great size for a guy who could play point guard uh, two and three. Um, just just a, a hard-nosed, well-coached, um, fundamentally sound player. Uh, kind of has an elite floater when he drives into his, you know, shoots on, uh, on drives. I, I think he's going to be a really good player in this league. I'm not projecting superstar for him, but just a, a really good, solid player. And I think against next to a two-guard or a primary star playmaker, which Cade projects to be, I think he'd be a really good fit. Um, so, but anyway, as far as answering the other question, I, sorry. Um, I, I think right now it's probably Tari Eason, to be honest. I know that's kind of everybody's pick, but that's kind of who I, I think I'm hoping falls to 17. I love Jeremy Suhan. I don't think he'll be available at 17. Um, there, that's a guy I think I would like to see the Rockets trade up to get, but Tari Eason's in the same category. The only problem I really have with Tari Eason is, is his basketball IQ and sort of his understanding of the game and of defensive schemes, is that going to come along? Because he's got so many great measurables. I mean, the hands measuring out at Kawhi length and size is such a big plus for a guy you expect to be a good defender, legit 6'8". Um, so I like Tari Eason a lot here, but there just there are some question marks that could have him fall and be available at 17. Yeah, I like Tari Eason a lot too, especially because I think I didn't he shoot, I think like 35% from three. I think it's like 36, 35, 36, yep. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, that projects to the the potential of transitioning or translating over to the NBA, at least at some point. Um, so you just to be clear, you want a wing for the Rockets at 17, or if they trade up. Yeah, um, three, four. I, I even though that's what they're kind of getting, right? A, more of a four if they're if they're drafting Paolo. Um, yeah, I just feel like they need defensive players. I, I, it's funny. I always say BPA even at 17, but I did notice that once it became clear, Paolo was going to be the third pick. I, my board slightly changed. Cause I do feel like it's a higher priority for the Rockets to get a defensive wing, but I still would go BPA. Even a guy like Jaden Hardy, I'll be totally honest. He, he intrigues me there. They, the rock, he's the farthest thing in my opinion as a fit or a need for the Rockets, 
but there's just so much talent there with Jaden Hardy. It's like, you know, it, we're talking about a Jordan Poole type of uh, player, in my opinion, to be able to get at 17 with the Brooklyn pick is, is extremely intriguing. This is a guy who everyone expected to be the second, third, fourth pick at worst going into the, you know, or projecting the draft six, eight months ago. Yeah, Jaden about- Hardy fell off. Like he was, I remember like looking ahead at this year's draft when we were doing last year's draft cycle and people were like, oh yeah, Jaden Hardy next year. Like I was like, okay. And then we like early on in the season, we were like looking at some of the G League players. And I remember doing a, a show with Nathan Fogg and we revisited, we looked at Dyson Daniels, uh, Jaden Hardy and uh, Marjan Bochamp, another guy that I, I would love Bochamp at, at 17. If Atari Eason's not there, I think Bochamp might be one of my guys that I've got like yeah. Very high on my board. Um, and then Jaden Hardy just kind of like plummeted, right? And the, like the efficiency wasn't quite there this past season. Like it's, but there's, there's undeniable talent for sure. Yeah, it was. Oh, go ahead, Rish. I was going to ask, what do, what do you think of these um, mock drafts having, mocking Ty Ty Washington to the Rockets at 17? Yeah, I, I you know, Ty, it's funny. So, I, so many teams are like Ty Ty every time they see their team, you know, picking Ty Ty for whatever reason. He's like they the just least they sexy. just want another Kentucky guard not to play in Houston. Come on, that's yeah. exactly what they're trying to do. <laughs> it's funny though. You look at Ty Ty Washington. He did get injured mid, you know, to a little bit later half part of the season, and his numbers plummeted after that. He really put up some good numbers beforehand, but it, you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset if they took him. He's just not that okay, that's going to fit everything that we we want. I actually would, I like Ty Ty as a prospect. He's just not, like I said, my my top choice. I think he's going to be a really good shooter. I think he's going to be uh, solid in a lot of ways, play well off the ball um, and be a good uh, playmaker for the Rockets. I think it's good insurance for uh, KPJ. But if they really do value Dacian Nix this highly, I, I just don't see it quite as the need at the moment. Yeah, where do you where do you have Dacian Nix? Where does he fit into this whole thing? Does he fit into this whole thing? Because the Rock, like I said, I, the Rockets are so guard heavy, and he's another guy. You know, and last season they had, I mean, they still got to get rid of John Waller, figure out what's going on there. Last season they brought in Dennis Schroeder. We'll see if they try to bring him back or not. So where does Dacian Nix fit into the to the whole scheme? Man, great question. Um, <clears throat> he's right now. He seems like this incredible, like you know quadruple a player right like way too good for the g league comes up to the pros and he had you know he's still feeling his way around here but hasn't made a significant impact with the rockets just yet but he's also a guy that needs the ball he's he's got good vision he needs to be the point guard he needs to be the playmaker um i you know i don't want to project too highly for him but i do see some kyle lowry type potential he's a very thick big bodied guard who gets physical with players he's not super um He's not super athletic, super fast. So that's a concern. I think if he was, he, I, I would agree with Jonathan. Jonathan Fagan said, he, you know, he's a, the Rockets view him as a lottery pick talent. I had, you know, they had told me that they, they definitely view him as their fifth first round pick last year, but man, to, to hear that they view him as a lottery pick talent. And if Jonathan says that that's, that's coming from the Rockets, um, that's encouraging, but I just, I'm not quite there yet. I, I just, I think he would probably go you know, maybe late first round in this draft, but I hope I'm wrong. I, I I just, I think he's a guy who has a good, good potential, but there's just some concerns kind of like with Shingun, like, okay, how high is that potential? Because he does have a few limitations. Shout out to Chris white on Twitter at fire bear. Cause we've oh, dropped yeah. the word thick in regard, in regards to the Houston Rockets <laughs> twice on this episode. So if you're listening, Chris, I'm sure you got a kick out of it both times that we said that, but um chris is a legend by the way i don't know if you guys know this but when i started clutch fans in 96 chris white had started a a rocket site same year 
it was he was he actually was uh he started a website called kiss asylum it was dedicated to kiss band and and fans and everything and he had a i think it was called the launch pad actually it was the rockets website and that's how we met back in 96 and so we would just talk rockets all the time and we've been friends ever since he's he's great he's especially behind the scenes really good guy yeah that hey, wow. okay that's an awesome story i didn't know that so you're saying you you moved chris out of the marketplace is what you what yeah yeah dave bullied we, we him out of the online rocket space <laughs> we we merged uh, it's definitely not not that but but uh i mean he's just a great great guy uh he, he's one of my favorite follows uh and we often agree on things although i will say chris you you're stuck with harden and i'm not anymore so we we, <laughs> we diverge there but um, I, you know it, i'm I'm, gl I'm glad ultimately you guys merged and you you stuck with with clutch you know clutch city not net and eventually clutch fans because um there's an alternate reality here i guess where y'all stuck with the launchpad website name instead right. and somewhere in 2020 of that alternate reality jackson gatling came up with a rockets podcast named the clutch fans podcast there. not the launchpad podcast there, there so you there go. We go there you go <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if Chris is a fan of the movie Detroit Rock City. By the way, I didn't know he was like a big Kiss guy. But, but we I, now I feel like I've totally exposed him, right? But I mean, yeah, I mean he's he's awesome. He he definitely uh, has always been helpful, and it's always been a very good relationship. So he's a great guy and very passionate Rocket fan. He's very into it. I mean, he'll he'll uh, follow all the news just like all of us. Yeah, well, Chris is one Chris. of the best follows on Rockets Twitter, right? Go follow him if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, it's at FireBear on Twitter, spelled F-Y-R-E, Bear on Twitter. Um, guys, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground in today's show, but I, I do want to... Okay, you throw in one more thing. I'm going to cap us off one, one thing. You go first, Roosh. Go for it. Okay, I was going to ask. Um, I, wanted, I wanted your thoughts on Jalen Williams, Dave. And I also wanted to ask, why did... Why and how did... Patrick Baldwin Jr. plummet so far because at one point people were talking about this guy as like a top five pick, right? And now yeah. he's mocked to go second. Um, by the way, I, we forgot to throw this out. Kevin O'Connor has Paolo Bancaro mocked as his number one, uh, number one on his big board. So, mm -hmm. oh, oh, yeah. well, so, not, not so mocked. Sorry, he's got yeah. him rated number one on his big board. Sorry. Yes. But, um, so, um, so as far as Paolo being mocked there. I'm surprised because, or I mean, on his big board, he's got him on his big board, but I think he's got him going third in the draft. So I, I kind of like, we'll stick to your guns. You know, I'd like to, Orlando should be taking BPA. I should, I would like to see him uh, mocked there and refresh my memory here. I just blanked out on your, your first part of your question. Thoughts on Jalen Williams. And then thank you. And then why Patrick Baldwin jr. Tanked. Okay. Thank you. So Jalen Williams, you guys know Madison on Twitter, madman leaks. Um, he's been, big on Jalen Williams for months talking about him. And we've all been kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Calm down with the Jalen Williams. And now he's actually in, in real life, you know, sp spiked way up. Um, I'm intrigued. I'll be honest. Uh, and like I said, Madison's been pushing him for a while. I mean, he's six, six, but he's got a seven foot two wingspan and a guy who's very comfortable playing point guard. Um, he, that's what he's played throughout his college career and, and, you know, and growing up. So I think in my opinion, that's a very sneaky pick there. I think it could be good defensively. He's got a few concerns, but he's shown potential to play good defense for him to measure out that at that wingspan. That's in my opinion, crazy Patrick Baldwin jr. Has fallen off my map. I wouldn't, I personally would not take him at 17. And I say this as someone at going into the year, I thought this could be, this is the guy I think I would expect to be fifth, like the worst case scenario for the Rockets. If they were the worst team in the league, they could get Patrick Baldwin Jr. because he looked like this dead eye shooter, and he may still be. He's got that size, um, 
And we, you can only look back at Zaire Williams last year as a guy who was just terrible in his college season. And still they, you know, they took him highly because they, they know how he projects. Baldwin Jr. did not do very well in the vertical jump at the combine, had all kinds of defensive issues, just had a, a season in college that just seemed like he wasn't uh, really into it. So there's just so many knocks that, you know, if I'm in the 20s, I might consider that, but I'm not sure I, I look at that at 17 if I'm the Rockets. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Jackson, would you, like to, would you like to wrap it up and put a bow on it? Do you have anything else? Yeah, I will put a bow on it. I want a, I want a prediction from each of us right now. Draft night trade from the Houston Rockets in some capacity. Any level of a draft night trade, yes or no, what is your gut telling you? We'll go Roosh, then Dave, and then I'll, ra- I'll wrap it up. So, yes or no? Yes, I think there will be a draft night trade. I don't think it will involve the third pick. I think it will involve the 17th pick. That's what I'm going with. I have one more, by the way, but after this round, I have one, and then we'll end it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sure. I would agree with that. I think they're going to end up trading the 17th pick. They're going to trade up or they're going to trade out. Um I, you know, we'll see. I think even staying there would be great, but that's my prediction. They'll make a trade tough to pull off, but I think that's what they'll do. That's what my, that's what my gut's telling me as well. So we're three for three on that one. I like it. It was in some capacity draft night trade involving the 17th pick. So, all right, Roosh, here we go. Just so you can get the last word in, give us, give us your prompt. (laughs) Um, Okay. Three and 17. Who do you think they will pick? Don't look, don't uh, factor in a trade. Just, just assume they're going to make the selection. Three and 17, who do you think gets selected versus who would you like to select if it was an ideal situation, realistically speaking? So give both? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I think they're going to end up with Paolo at number three. Um, 17, boy, that is a tough one. If they stay pat at 17, I, I think Tari East is going to go ahead of them. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jalen Williams for now. Um, as far as who I want, Jabari, Jabari, Jabari. Uh, <laughs> somehow, even if they have to trade up, I would love to see Jabari Smith here. I think that would be a great future for the Rockets. Uh, 17 Tari Eason. Okay. Um, I'll go. I think it's going to be Paolo Bancaro at three. I think 17. I'm going to say Tari Eason. You know what? I'm going to say Tari's going to be there at 17 for the Rockets. Nice. So that's what I'm going to say is, is going to happen for Houston. What I want to happen for Houston, and I'm going to get flack for it. We're both going to get <laughs> flack for it, Dave. It's okay. <laughs> Jabari to Houston, number three, and I'll still go Tari Eason at 17. That's what I would love to see actually play out, but I, I will still support Paolo regardless. I'm still yes. excited about him being in a Rockets jersey. All right, Roosh, take us home. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be Paolo at number three, and I was going to say Tari Eason at 17, but just to mix it up, since you said Tari Eason at 17, and this is this is what I think will happen. For, so that's my first one, what I think will happen. I think it'll be Paolo at three. And just to mix it up, I'll say Jaden Hardy at 17. Mm, Fits fits Rafael Stone's mold of just pure hoopers. He seems to like those guys. Um, Also a a G League Ignite guy, right? And Houston clearly has a little bit of success and familiarity with those guys. So so that's what I'll say. And then if it was up to me, three is a revolving door. On any given day, I could convince myself of Chet, Jabari, Ivy, and Bancaro. Um, What is it today, Roosh? And today, <laughs> that's a great question. Behind door number three, what do we have today? Yeah, behind door number three today, I think we have Jabari. Um, nice. With it, but you know, Chet makes me really think about it. I could yeah, see it. I agree. I could see it. So, but 
Jabari, number three, um, and then realistically at 17, um, Tari Eason would be nice. I think Tari Eason would be nice. Oh, be great. But there's a ton of names. It's a it's a weird draft, dude. EJ Liddell, uh, Nikola Jovic, who I'm actually not high on because I, I need some defense, like, but that's just me. But but there's a ton of interesting prospects. It's really hard. Jalen Williams is, is starting to really catch my interest. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Mark Williams, lots of guys. I agree. That, that Mark Williams, you could move down, get another late pick, and pick up Walker Kessler. Yes, know? I'm with you on that one. With you so, on that. As far as a late pick, absolutely. Right, or move up into the second round if he's still available. I don't know. So, A lot of very interesting names there at pick 17. It's going to be really interesting to see what direction the Rockets obviously go with all this. We are just a few weeks removed from the NBA draft. But Dave, we appreciate you joining us here as the first ever guest on the State of the Rockets podcast. Do us a favor, let our listeners know where to track you down if they're not already following you and consuming your content on, on all various platforms. Sure. Uh, so on all social media, it's at Clutch Fans and uh, the website's clutchfans.net and, and we have the forums and uh, the shop going on there now and it's been, it's fun. We, we, we're enjoying it. Dave, I want to know what your favorite shirt is on the shop. Uh, well, as family friendly. <laughs> no, just oh kidding. yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, this so that's the Scott actually, Foster one. Yeah, it's, it's right, the Scott yeah. Foster one. That's fine. You can say that on this podcast. It's, oh it's, no, I, yeah. I I wouldn't actually say that anyway. But yeah, that the F Scott Foster shirt is 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 my favorite. I just think it's fun, um, just playing around with it. But uh, it's that's probably gotten the most reaction I think since since we put that out there. And and you know what? Since we keep adding on, since we keep lying to everyone saying we're going to end it, and we just continue to ask questions, I'll 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 keep <laughs> that good. turn going. Uh, Dave, do you have a, do you have top five favorite rockets or do you have favorite rockets outside of like Hakeem and the, the easy answers? I'd be, so, I'd love to know. And you know, I've always loved the players that, that like didn't get the respect, but just busted it. And so Mario Elliott has always been sort of like my symbol of like favorite player that, you know, kind of like the, the lunch pail, you know, blue collar worker kind of guy. PJ Tucker has been always been a, a favorite of mine. But I mean, there's no doubt Akeem is my favorite player ever. I mean, that's not the, the one, you know, you'd have to, he, he's the reason I actually follow basketball. I, I, I was baseball, football um, the whole time when I was a kid. And then I got into U of H for Akeem. He, he basically trench carried over to the Rockets. So uh, Akeem, definitely my favorite player of all time. But outside of Akeem, I, I, it's a really tough call, but, and there's so many great ones, but I'd probably have to say Mario Eli, to be honest. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's shocking. Huh? That's awesome. You know who one of my favorite players was from that? I mean, Vernon Maxwell's was growing up. I loved Vernon uh, Maxwell and embodied all, all of, you know, the attitude and all that. I loved it. Um, I, like, I remember being a kid watching him charge the stands in Portland and, and just do what he would do. But um, a really, really underrated player that still sticks with me to this day is uh, Otis Thorpe. I knew oh, you were gonna. I knew you were gonna say awesome. Otis. I was waiting. I was I like, love OT, man. The I way love he started OT. kind of flex when he started saying really underrated. I was like, it's gonna be OT. I just know it he's, is. He was so good. You want to talk about measurables? That guy's oh. hands. That guy would pick up a basketball and he would pump fake it one handed, like like it was a freaking grapefruit. I mean, literally. It's Go back crazy. and watch some of those clips. It's insane. Yeah. It, it was true. He just palmed that thing. It was, it, I agree. He probably had bigger hands than Kawhi, to be honest. It was, it was nuts. And I actually always go back. I, I want to talk to OT one day and just ask him how in the world, I mean, the guy was like a top 10 pick and in, in his like second or third year and the Rockets were able to trade uh, two players, Rodney McCray and Jim Peterson for him to put next to Akeem, which was a huge trade, a great trade. I don't know how the Rockets got him because he was a 2010 guy at the time, but yeah, he was awesome. And Vernon Maxwell, I actually wore his jersey in Salt Lake City at a game in Utah. Hey, there you go. 
Um, and I will always remember the reaction from every jazz fan that I saw because they hate him. Yeah, <laughs> and that's I why Vernon. <laughs> and so I, I remember it very well. Uh, 95, actually. It was that oh, year. It was wow. during the regular season. Uh, I went in, in 94 and 95 because I was going to college in Utah at the time. Um, and it was fun. We would get uh, from colleges, we would get like gatherings of about 100, 150 uh, people. And we would just march in to uh it wasn't the delta center back then it was i can't remember the name of it now but um we would just march in and man i tell you what we got so many looks and just you know yelling and we would come down into our seats and um i remember akeem looking up and i was like whoa but it was it was a good time uh you know back then we we were brave enough to just (laughs) do some stupid stuff that's incredible man i was watching last night i actually fell asleep watching um game five against the spurs uh, in the Western Conference Finals in 1995. Oh, yeah. And, That's when Akeem and Cassell went off, right? Akeem yes, and Sam? Yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to submit that uh, Game 5, that game, might be the single best performance by a Rocket ever. And I just wanted to float that out there. We could, I guess we could, you know, end on that or we could keep talking about it. But he had four, 42 points, five blocks, wow. eight assists, nine rebounds. Uh, it's an, and, and, and doing it against... David Robinson on the road, 63% from the field, 19 of 30, only seven free throws, four of seven from the free throw line. Um, And I mean, you know, in a back, you know, a situation, they had just lost two home games, go to game five. I mean, they they won all the games in San Antonio in that series. It's nuts. So um, the road team won all the games until they, they game six series off in Houston. So absolutely um, incredible run actually. Man, it's it still gets me to this day. It's it's so you know unfortunate. We're gonna, you know what we're gonna do somewhere down the line? We're gonna get you two together and I'll just bow out one day for like a retro <laughs> like a retrospective like state of the rockets show. And you guys can just reminisce over the good old days. All right. right. You guys can talk nineties hoops, all that. Cause I'm just like the young buck sitting here. I'm like, well, it's all really cool, but like I didn't get to experience any of it. So I'll throw out a you know, a name for my hat over here. I was a I was a I was a big Chuck Hayes fan. I thought Chuck Chuck Hayes didn't get enough credit. For I was at the he game when he sealed he games. sealed the playoff game against Utah with the charge. I forget which one it was, but I was at that one. Chuck Dude, is awesome. Even today, you guys probably you know see him on Twitter. The man works for the Rockets has no fear whatsoever on what he likes. I'm like yeah. little like tweets of mine that I'm like, man, did the Rockets know that you're liking that tweet? <laughs> The Chuck and, wagon uh, is incredible. He, he yeah. does the, the same. Best. He does the same with me. Shout out to Chuck. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. He is awesome. It gives you a nice gives you a nice view of certain things. Um. Yeah. All right, Jackson. Anything to wrap this up with? Are we good? No, I think just shout out to our incredible listeners for checking out the show. Shout out to our incredible guest Dave for being a part of the program. Uh, you know, joining us here at State of the Rockets to just again break down everything going on with the Houston Rockets. Dave, we appreciate you stopping by, man. Oh man, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Hey, if uh, you're listening, subscribe, rate, listen, share with a friend, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you on the next episode of State of the Rockets.